So Beards Creek Adventures, uh, the podcast, we cover a number of things. We've covered um, our trips to Senegal. We've covered uh, hunting trips, and we've covered um, creating outdoor content. And we firmly believe in the idea of adventure, and adventure doesn't always include hunting. Um, Sometimes it's fishing. Sometimes it's kayaking. Sometimes it's... um, uh, travel and in this case tonight uh, we're gonna we're gonna take a little bit of a, a side step and we are going to connect with my oldest son Jacob who has been studying international development and um, was spent three weeks in Sierra Leone and so this was a fantastic conversation he was uh, uh, shared some great stories about his his time in Sierra Leone. And we'd love for you to uh, to listen. And if you have uh, questions or a desire to help out in either Sierra Leone or with our connections in Senegal, we'd love to hear from you. And you can email us at beardscreekadventures uh, at gmail.com, or you can direct message us uh, on Instagram. Well, welcome back to the P- BCA podcast. Wow, I can't even get my own words out right. And uh, this week we are um, we're going to discuss um, Jake's trip to uh, Sierra Leone. Jake is my oldest son. He's a member here of the the BCA family, and we had been wanting to do this, but the summer got away from us with me being uh, absent. And so, um, Jake. Tell us, uh, so when did you go to Sierra Leone? We'll start with that. Uh, so it was a three-week trip. I guess it was a little, like, two days, three weeks and two days uh, in the middle of May. And so we got back at the beginning of June. And, yeah, that's that's how long it was. Yeah. Where Where is Sierra Leone for those who... Sierra Leone is, if you look at a map of Africa, which, by the way, Africa is the second largest continent in the world. It's bigger than North America. A lot of people forget that. Um, it is two countries below Senegal, and Senegal is the westernmost nation. So all the way on the left side of Africa, just kind of on the bottom of... Equator? Yep. Okay. Because I know when we go to Senegal, people ask, and I say, well, it's just above the equator. No, this is right above. <laughs> right above the equator, yeah. And it, but it, it sounds like it's different. Like, Senegal is arid. It's, yep. uh, it's all border borders the Sahara Desert. What uh, When you say tropical. Well, I, so I'm starting to, this is something that I realized when I was there. At first, I got there, and it was just, it was so lush and green and it rained our first night there, like pouring rain all night. Um, but in my time in Senegal, I realized that they have rainy and dry seasons, the right. same as Sierra Leone. And Sierra Leone will definitely dry out during the off season. It's not 100% rain all the time. So it is similar in that way. But uh, in terms of the amount of rain that they get and the elevation and the mountains that they have, they support a lot more monkeys and yeah. a lot more, you know, they've got gorillas and chimpanzees really? there yeah um not a lot of them because they've been over hunted for years now but yeah there's a lot of save the apes programs going on there wow 
That's cool. Yeah, I, I wonder what their average rainfall is. Like Senegal, I think the average rainfall is 14 inches, and it's... Yeah, I can tell you that, like, Senegal had some crazy rainstorms when I was there, but Sierra Leone had some unbelievable, like, every single night, unbelievable rain. Wow. Uh, mangoes just falling on our roof from the, <laughs> the wind, blowing them around and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So we should probably back up and say you have been to Senegal at least three times with four, me. Four times total. Yeah. And so three times were just week trips, and then yep. last year... It was six weeks. Six weeks for an internship. Yep. And so for school, what what was your... What were you studying? Like, what was your major... Uh, so I majored in international development, um, which meant that I had to complete a uh, six-week intercultural experience. And so I took that literally, and I, I went to another country, and I spent six weeks all by myself in, in Senegal. And come to find out, there was people that did that intercultural experience in America. <laughs> you know, they got that, that out of the way without ever leaving the country. So... I, I was grateful for going. I think I really did get some pretty serious experience out there. But this was a more uh, academically challenging, and um, it was more rigorous work. You know, I didn't have a whole lot of free time. Mm -hmm. I was spending most of my time in Sierra Leone doing um, uh, research and writing and transcribing interviews, and I was going to bed at whatever time we got out sometimes it was 10 sometimes it was 11 and then waking up at, at six or seven to get started the next day yeah um which isn't ridiculous but when you're working in the equator it's yeah. you're just hot you're you're ready to go to bed there's um lizards crawling around under your bed <laughs> literally li i and one of the girls there one night was like uh, she texted her WhatsApp. We had a WhatsApp group chat with all the students that were there. Uh, can Jake or somebody come to my room? There's a massive cockroach in my bathroom. <laughs> I was like, oh, yes, I have dealt with this before. And so I, I went and killed the cockroach for her. And she was so, she was like, you're the best. You're my, she texted in the WhatsApp chat. She was like, uh, Jake is now my favorite. <laughs> Um, I this, killed a lot of those in Senegal, so I was yeah, used to yeah. it. So this trip was, um, it, it was much more focused, right? Mm -hmm. Like you had a very specific purpose of yep. what you were doing there. Yeah, what, and, what was that? Um, and my, my research advisor, um, Dr. Dr. Pa Ron. <laughs> so <laughs> we call him Pa Ron because uh, in, in their culture, Pa is a term of respect for an older man. Um, and Ma is what you would call like an older woman. So the Pa or the Ma. Yep. So Pa Ron was my research advisor when I was doing my senior capstone for uh, Houghton. And he, I knew that he was taking these trips because he told me about them all the time. Um, but he kind of reached out to me and I needed three more credits anyway. So that's kind of how we, we linked up to, to go to Sierra Leone. Uh, but he he is a political science guy and he's he's older so he's like uh i don't know he's he's like in his mid to late 70s i think mm -hmm. and he um he's political science so his whole thing was governance he wanted to learn about how the chiefdoms are governed how the how the country is governed at a local level 
Uh, and so that's what we were going for. And, and he is, over the years, he's done like 13 of these trips for uh, Sierra Leone. He met this contact, um, Daniel, Daniel Serraturé. And Daniel is, um, he's a member of the royal family in the Kalantuba chiefdom. And that means that he is eligible for um, the regent, or the, sorry, the paramount chief position, which is like, I, I want to say it's like the governor, right? Mm-hmm. So if if Sierra Leone is a country, a very small country, but a country nonetheless, it's broken up into, uh, um, what's it? the fly on the microphone <laughs> uh it's broken up into different regions based on uh um i can't i can't think of uh what the term is whatever uh chiefdoms are one level below that okay. so a chiefdom is more like a state i guess yeah. so uh, there's like regions and then there's states which are chiefdoms and then within the chiefdoms, there's sections, which are like counties. And within sections, there are uh, villages, which okay. are like towns. So they don't have districts like we do in Senegal. Right. Okay. It, it, they kind of do. I think a district would be more closely related to, to a section. Okay. I think a section and a district would be similar. But uh, it's. I'm sure it's a little different. Yeah. So anyway... Um, He's eligible for the paramount chief position, which is like the governor. It's the head of the chiefdom, Mm -hmm. which is a a fairly large portion of land. It it incorporates 41 um, villages, which is like 41 towns, uh, very small, underpopulated towns, mind you, but 41 towns. And so uh, back in 2002, he was told by his, uh, his uncle and his father that he would become the next paramount chief because that's just how it how it had to be. They didn't trust any of his brothers or any of his cousins. But so this is still an elected position. No. Oh, it's not. Okay. Well, uh, so it's it's complicated. It is supposed. It will be an elected elected position now. Um, it's hard to say. Like, there's a deamalgamation going on. So at one point, the they were a British colony. The British Parliament said that you have to take all of your your. We're going to take a bunch of these different chiefdoms and merge them with other chiefdoms to make them more easy to govern. But in turn, it made it more difficult for them to get along with each other, and it ruined their their local governments because they didn't speak the same language, they didn't have the same culture, that sort of thing. So in um, in recent years, in the last two decades, they've decided, okay, we're going to de-amalgamate. I think it was in the 90s, actually. We're going to de-amalgamate. We're going to re-separate these, these groups now that we're an independent nation. And uh, as a result, there's this, this chiefdom, Kalantuba, was a part of another chiefdom. They were merged, and they got split into two. And so this the chief of that amalgamated chiefdom was from the other village. So mm. he maintained his chief chiefdomcy. Yep. And now Kalantuba doesn't have a chief and they have to elect one. Okay. But because the national government has to do the elections because they don't trust the government of the, of the right, locals, the locals. Uh, they have not had that election yet. And every village that we went to said, 
we want Daniel as our chief. Daniel is going to be our chief. We know that. He's a member of the royal family. The royal family says that he's going to be the chief. Just give us the boxes and we will all vote for him. But yeah. because the the uh, national government, the district, I think it's the district. I don't know. I can look it up. Um, they are not a member of the same party as mm. this village and this region. A lot of a lot of these political parties are regional based. Yeah. They're not based on like principles. They're based on who you're a part of, what tribe you come from, that sort of thing. Yeah. They don't give a lot of attention to this region and as a result they haven't had an election in uh, it's been I think it's been over 6 years now wow. that they've known for a fact that they're going to have an election and no one's come. So. Unbelievable. So there's nobody governing them really right now. Well, the way that it works, that's it's a good, uh, good transition. Um, Regent chief is the term that they've given the uh, temporary chief of the the chiefdom, and the regent chief is supposed to be reelected every single year, and it's not elected. Sorry, reappointed by the national government. The national government will say, this person is good he's strong he needs to be the next regent chief for the next year and they've got all the same powers as a, a hypothetical paramount chief would but only for a year and so as a result because it's a temporary position a lot of these people have used it to kind of just generate income to maybe do some get some favors done but they're also not respected by the people in the same way because a they're appointed they're not elected by the people mm -hmm. and b it's a temporary position so they know within a, a year they're not going to be here anymore but that yeah. said um there's only been three paramount or three regent chiefs in the last six years <laughs> so they're not even appointing people at the rate that they're supposed to be appointed uh, and i got to know we interviewed one of the regent chiefs twice and we were expecting him to be a little clueless you know the speaker there's a house speaker that has been there since the beginning, and he's kind of second in command, but he, we kind of suspected that he would be running the show because he's been constant throughout this whole thing. Yeah. And to an extent, that is true. He knows what's going on. He knows exactly who to talk to about different things, and everyone goes through him to get to the regent chief, but he doesn't hold the same power. Um, but when we spoke to the regent chief, we were very impressed with how much he knew and how much he cared and seemed to actually take take uh, take the position seriously. And one of our translators was a former regent chief. So we had interacted with a lot of uh, regent chiefs, a couple, a couple of regent chiefs throughout this whole process. And they all seemed like they, they really just wanted a something permanent they yeah. want a paramount chief and they want daniel to be the paramount chief yeah. and that must have been you know it's a little weird right like you have four or five college students right mm -hmm. and uh, actually it was just three of us in three. this three and you would had, were graduated pretty much at that mm -hmm. point so it was uh both the other one yeah. both the other girls that went with us had already graduated as well so here you are meeting with these government officials mm -hmm. i mean that's that's pretty cool like there's a there's an interesting dynamic there that you're you know as young as you are to be able to step in and, and mm -hmm. be able to have conversations with those those folks it's um before we jump into the research uh do you know when how long sierra leone has been uh decolonized from great britain has that been a while it hasn't been as long as you would think 
Um, I think it was probably, I want to say it was the 80s. Oh, wow. That recent. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then um, going back even further, was there a slavery issue there? You know, with Senegal, we know that that was the Western gateway for slavery. Uh, that's not honestly something that I know much about. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for a fact that, that this is one of those countries that was exploited pretty heavily for mining and mm-hmm. for their uh, their resources in country. Yeah. Uh, Senegal doesn't have as many natural resources as Sierra Leone. Right. That's about it. Right. So Sierra Leone was, if there was slavery, I assume that the British were enslaving people in that country to do work in that country. Um, And and you see, there's still slavery going on there, as there is in a lot of uh, African nations. Um, That's probably a whole separate podcast, but when you bring up slavery in Senegal, it, it saddens the people, but it's it saddens them because it was their, <laughs> right, their right. their heritage of them selling their neighbors into slavery, and they don't blame America or yeah. any other country for it. They blame themselves. Well, and there's, I mean, we passed so many mines in Sierra Leone, like tons of different mines. They're mining all kinds of different metals. Um, you know, I, I can't remember. There were there was just some weird metals that they were pulling out of the ground, hmm. uh, and. I guess the miners make more money than the farmers do, which makes sense, but it's still not, it's dangerous and it's, it's still not as much as they should be making because all of that is going overseas anyway. They don't see any of the resources that actually come out of the ground. Yeah. We've, um, we've talked, um, from like after our family trip this year to Senegal, just how flat Senegal is, but you said, uh, Sierra Leone is very Mm -hmm. different in that way. Well, it's mountains. It is it is mountains over and over. And the uh, Sierra Leone, I think, I think it means mountain lion, like lion mountain. Yeah. That's what it means. Yeah. Um, and some people say it's because they thought that they heard mountain lions in the in the forest when they came by, or like when the colonists got there. And some people say it's because the face of the rock when you first get there looks like a lion. But either way, it's it's mountains, yeah. Uh, and it is uh, it's so bad. I I was so astounded. I didn't even notice this until like the very end of my trip, and I realized I didn't see a horse the whole time I was there. Really, not one horse. And I I have to attribute that to the fact that the terrain is so terrible that the horses would just be breaking their legs the whole time yeah, if they if yeah. they even tried to navigate it, and and. When we ask villagers, and that that was the big part of research is asking questions. We asked so many questions. We were in some interviews went three hours long. Me and Pauron were just sitting there talking to people for three hours, just asking asking questions, uh, just trying to understand the culture better, understand the people better. And one of the things that people always always ask for was better roads Hmm. we said what could a paramount chief do for you and they said they could bring better roads right and obviously that's it's kind of a pipe dream it's not like they're just going to magically get this money to to build roads and have people come out and pave them and uh things like that but that is that is what they want they want roads because roads will bring hospitals and roads will bring um, better businesses and and people will be able to travel and see their family and go into the city to sell things 
they have no roads. The road network is so bad that we went into a village one time and the kids were chanting, and I said, what are they chanting? And and Daniel said, they're chanting motor car, motor car. <laughs> they had never seen a car before. The kids were the kids were like four or five years old. They had never seen a car before because the, the village was that remote wow. and it was straight uphill. Wow. And it was it was just it, we got stuck. One of the cars couldn't make it. And they're running, you know, manual transmission, so it's it's really <laughs> difficult to get up there. Daniel's revving the engine. Oh, it was terrifying. Daniel's revving the engine and slamming it into gear i'm like this is he did that with an automatic right he didn't know the difference between automatic and manual they just trashed the cars we almost didn't make it to the to the airport on time because both cars broke down on the way to the airport we had six seven people crammed into one car with all of our luggage because one broke down got five minutes down the road and that one broke down some guy pulls up on a motorcycle with a random fuel line cap and throws something together and we whip off to the airport praise god we made it oh, it's uh it's the road network is a problem and and it's a problem that can't be fixed until there is someone that is willing to just just do it you know because yeah, yeah. it has to be paved they right. they spend so much time all the villagers it's it's kind of i don't want to say it's communist right because it's largely democratic mm-hmm. for the most part people elect their leaders people uh vote on things that they want to do but at the same time they they take a uh, at their meetings every week they take time to say okay sunday who needs help on their farm? Mm. And someone will say, I have barely done anything on my farm. I need help. And everyone in the village will go to that person's farm and work on that farm for a day. And then they'll say, okay, who needs help next? And then they'll go to the next person's farm the next day. And they'll do that all week because there's no way for one person to get the job done or to get ahead. Um, And particularly uh, there's... I feel like I'm just rambling on. No, I love this. Is what a communal response, right? It really, I mean, we it are, really is. We are so self-driven. Well, uh, and they've got no money, so they can't hire people yeah. to to do things like this. One of the other things that is really interesting is uh, they had three. I'm, I want to say three different leaders at almost every position except the section level. So I mentioned chiefdom was like a state. Section was like a county, village was like a town. And like our our uh, civilization, our society, they've got different levels of leadership at each level. And so they all have a, re- a regent or a paramount chief at the chiefdom level. But then they also have a, um, a chiefdom mommy queen slash chair lady who is in charge of the women. You know, it's, it's kind of... Uh, taboo for a man to be trying to lead and talk to women because it's not something that they understand a woman is supposed to lead women right Mm. uh and then they've got a chiefdom youth leader as well and the youth leaders in charge of men who are typically between 16 and 30 and those men maybe even 35 those men are in charge of 
all of the road maintenance in all of the different villages. So there's a village youth leader as well. And the youth leader, we, we asked the, all the youth leaders, every village that we went to, we conducted 30 something interviews with, I think we got 39 villages represented. Wow. Um, you, now did you visit 39 villages? No, okay. we, we okay. had people come to the, they, some people walked six hours to get to our interview. It was wow. crazy. Wow. Uh, and so we, that also meant we were sitting there for two hours waiting for someone to show up. Yeah. Time, Africa but, time is right, Africa time. <laughs> right. Um, but the youth leader, when we asked him, and I wasn't a part of these interviews, the, the girls paired up and they interviewed the mommy queens and the youth leaders. And we interviewed the elders and the uh, chiefs. Not to be that guy, but they were pretty important interviews, you know. <laughs> we, we, me and me and Pa Ron. That's why me and Pa Ron ended up doing interviews that took three hours, and the girls were just sitting there waiting for an hour and a half, going, "What is taking them so long?" Um, the youth leaders told us that their job was to mobilize the youth for road work. That's pretty much it. Wow. So they they said that the youth don't like to do work for the community because it's exhausting and it's it's time consuming and they've got their own farms to work on to mm. to feed their own families. But if they don't do the road work, then people will not be able to come to the village and they get, and it's 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 their way of contributing to the entire chiefdom because in order to have a network where one village can access another village and another village and another mm. village all the villages have to do road work because it's like I mentioned, it's a jungle and within a couple of days it will start over. I mean, it's, it, it's a lot of grass. It's a huh. lot of green, um, just thorn bushes, gro just overgrowth. And so they'll go in with machetes and they'll just cut back a mile of trail every week and wow. it's the it's the youth leader's job to make sure that everyone's participating hmm. and if you don't participate you can be fined and they don't have money to be paying fines no. and if they don't pay the fine this is this was questions that we asked um trying to figure out what happens who punishes the person if someone's not doing what they're supposed to do and so if you don't pay the fine the fine gets doubled and you get sent to the section chief so you get sent to the county and then if you don't show up there, you get sent to the regent chief ultimately. And the regent chief will send you to court, which is the district. And the district is like national government almost. Mm -hmm. It's it's just separate government uh, where you will be fined so heavily that you will not be able to bear it. And we had heard one story of a man that he didn't show up for road work. Whatever, no big deal. Go see the section chief didn't show up to the section chief the section chief said he went to the regent chief and said this man's not showing up can we summon him to court and so they he got summoned to court and he pleaded with the court he begged for mercy and they charged him i think i want to say it was like 14,000 uh 14,000 leones which isn't a whole lot it's like 3 or 4 dollars but it's it's more than they pay for taxes, you wow. know, taxes are 5,000 Leones and this is 1400 and it just, it destroyed him. So mm -hmm. there's 
while it is like it's a very communal place, you have to have some sort of way to enforce that community and enforce people to participate in sure, in that sure. community. Wow. Uh, so your average day would be um, going to a village and you're doing interviews. Yep. So we wake up, we have breakfast. Uh, Susan was our, our private cook, basically. She was lovely. Um, she's the one that taught me the only phrase I learned in, in limbo, which was, uh, or I guess it's Creo, which is, I like your Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> It means I like your boobs. <laughs> it wasn't me that I didn't ask her to tell me this, but she told one of the other girls this because uh, I don't know. I was a, I was just listening to the conversation, and she was like, "Is it inappropriate to say this to someone in in Sierra Leone?" And Susan was like, "No, no, it's a compliment. They like it. You know, that's 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 a that's something that women really like to be complimented on." <laughs> But that just stuck in my mind. So I, I can well, imagine. Creole is one of those languages where it's just broken English. Mm. So you can kind of understand what they're saying sometimes, but you can't actually speak it. Like if yeah. you try to speak English to someone that only speaks Creole, they'll be like, what are you talking about? But then you put a little, you put a little spin on it, you know, a little funk on it. You say, how the body? Instead of how are you doing? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, the body fine. <laughs> it's like, it's good. Um, so yeah. Anyway, she would make us breakfast. It was usually bread. It was like a Senegalese mm-hmm. breakfast, bread and an egg, a cold egg. Mm. And uh, we would go into one of the villages and it, we started local, like closer villages I think the first village took us maybe 15 minutes to get to. And by the end of our trip, the last village took us probably two hours to get to. Just because the quality of roads got worse, too, as we went on. And there's roadblocks because we we were staying at um, a hydroelectric plant that was mostly vacant because none of the workers had been paid in two years. (laughs) So it was mostly vacant, and we were staying in rooms. And uh, they still had guards working there because obviously it's a security issue. And throughout this region, it's a hard-to-access region. That's it, We were really blessed to, to get to spend time in this area because no one gets to spend time in this area. I remember driving through this roadblock, and they put the, the, the rope up, and they said, you can't pass. And Daniel, who's going to be the Paramount Chief, sticks his head out and goes, why can't we pass? You know, and and you see this interaction between him and the police officer. uh, They're like, "Uh, well, no, what is your your purpose here? And then the Regent Chief, who is our translator, rolls his window down and sticks his head out the window. (laughs) And the guy goes, oh, Chief. I'm so sorry. I'm so. I was. It puts the rope down and we go right through. I was like, we have so much clout in this place. It's unbelievable. We could go wherever we want. We got to see the hydroelectric plant down to the fourth bottom level. Like just, we got to touch the turbine on the thing. It's like we could be terrorists for all we know. Uh jeez. I'm sorry. There's so much to talk about. That's. So then you would you do your interviews yep. and you would do they were you said about like so, three hour interviews. Well, I, that's that's the long end. Most yeah. of the interviews, depending on how many people we had, because we wanted to hear from everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were focus groups. 
for the most part. Occasionally we would do like an individual interview if it was like only one person showed up or if it was this person's really important and we missed them earlier in the week. Uh, but for the most part, it was focus groups with anywhere from three to, I think our lo- our largest focus group had 11 people in it. Wow. 11 different chiefs from 11 different villages showed up for one interview. Uh, so we would, I was leading the chief interviews. So I was asking the questions to the chiefs and, um, then Pa Ron was writing down everything that was said. And then he would lead the elders interviews where we asked the elders questions and I would write down everything that was said. And then we would go back home. We would have lunch. Sometimes in the more remote villages, they would feed us there. That's where I got to try the palm wine, mm. um, which I'll, I'll just make a note of that because that's really cool. Uh, they have palm wine that they make in these remote villages out of palm trees they'll go climb a tree using like a, a strap you know like mm-hmm. they'll just pick themselves up all the way up to the top of the tree and they'll tap a little tap in there like we do with maple syrup and it's got to be a rotten like starting to rot palm tree and at that point the oil and the um, sugar inside the palm has started to ferment and they'll put a bottle and hang it off the, the tap. And within a, I don't know how long it takes, maybe a week or two, they'll have a full bottle of wine, like <laughs> fully fermented, already ready to go wine. Uh, and so we got to try that. And it, t- it tasted like vinegar, but man, it I don't know if I was dehydrated that day or if it was just really <laughs> strong. But I was like, wow. Was a... Oof. The food was pretty good, though, for the most part. Uh, for the most part. Um, we had a lot of potato and cassava leaf stuff, mm-hmm. you know, like leaf um, uh, sauce on top of like chicken and rice. My stomach did not appreciate that. <laughs> I, I'll just say that. Uh, but the chicken and oh, some of the best fish I've ever had in my life. I've never had fish so good. And I don't know where they even got it from. Maybe the river. Mm-hmm. Um, but such good fish. Wow. And I'm not a fish guy, really. Yeah. I had a terrible piece of sheep though. <laughs> it still had like fur on it basically. Oh, you know gosh. like it, they didn't skin it, they just shaved it. I was like, yep. "Why?" Yeah, it makes you really appreciate uh, the states. I I have traveled a bunch around the world and have tried some mm-hmm. you know, pig that's still raw pig that still had the the fur on the skin mm-hmm. and horse and yeah, it's um uh, it makes you really appreciate that. I know we have a lot of processed food, but I'll mm-hmm. take it. <laughs> All right. So we got to hear about the, the magic chicken, the truth chicken. Oh, the, 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 uh, yeah, it's not the truth. It's the test chicken. The test the chicken. chicken yeah. is what they called it. So one of the things that came up multiple times in our interviews, and we were surprised that, because it was one of those things you hear and you're like, okay, this has got to be like a one, one time deal thing. This can't be something that actually happens frequently, but it, we, we heard this in multiple villages. And then on one of our last days, we saw it in action basically. And the translator told us, this is what's happening. Witchcraft is a big deal in Sierra Leone. Uh, it's a, 
in the region that we were in, it was mostly Christian, uh, although it was largely, you know, quote unquote Christian, where mm-hmm. they they have this syncretistic view of Christianity, where they say that they're Christians, but they really believe in spirits and in witchcraft and things like that. And I'm I'm a little conflicted by this whole thing, as most people are. It's something that I can't definitively say yes. Witchcraft is definitely the source of this problem, or no, witchcraft does not exist and there's no power in evil, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's something that Pa Ron and I kind of had. I didn't get into it with him, but uh, he seemed to believe that witchcraft could not possibly be real, you know? And yeah. I, I can't, I, I don't know that I can definitively say that witchcraft doesn't exist. Yeah. Scripture um, seems to point that it right. does. And so, uh, witchcraft was a big problem and the people attributed they hated witches they hated it they didn't want witches in their village but yet they would constantly have trials and accuse people of being a witch they're like in their salem witchcraft era trial you know like um they would say okay this person is a witch this woman has killed my child and it's never like oh they made this person sick or oh they did this thing that was wrong They said, this person killed my child. And so they would, (laughs) this is how they would figure out whether or not you're a witch. First, they would hire a licensed sorcerer. (laughs) (laughs) They hate witches, but we're going to hire one. they They would bring in a licensed sorcerer who was capable of determining whether or not people were using magic. And this licensed sorcerer would come in and he would... So something that that is very important with them also is their word and their swears. Mm -hmm. So they they will swear something. They will swear it on their ancestors because everything is ancestral. They won't sell their land because it's their ancestors' land and it would shame them. They won't, um, you know, they they name their kids after their ancestors. Like everything is about the people that came before them and the, the, the processes that that go into honoring their their ancestors. So when they say, I swear that I am not a witch, that is like putting their life on the line. And so they'll have the the person swear that they are not a witch. And then they'll have the other person swear that that person is a witch. And then they'll have the sorcerer swear that he is a sorcerer. (laughs) (laughs) And then they they take a chicken, okay? Sometimes they do this with a banana, right? It goes both ways. Uh, but they'll take a chicken, and I couldn't figure out if it was the the witch, the suspected witch's chicken, or if the sorcerer brings a chicken. I don't know. Um, but they have these little funnels that they make out of sticks and bark, and it's a special bark from a special tree, and it holds water. And so the sorcerer does some sort of like I I don't know what he does to it if it's supposed to be just water or if he like does some sort of dance to it or adds some sort of spices to it i don't know but he takes the water from the funnel and he pours it in the chicken's eyes and then the chicken and the sorcerer and the suspected witch and the per- the accuser all sleep in the same house together to make sure that nothing weird happens and, and no one's messing with the chicken and when they wake up in the morning if the chicken's eyes are sealed shut, like rotten, they say, if the eyes are rotten, then the person has lied. 
then then the accused has lied about not being a witch and they are guilty. But if the chicken can see, then they're telling the truth and they are in fact not a witch. And so they'll do that and then they'll also do that with a banana. At least in the case that we saw, they did this with a banana as well. And when they woke up, the eyes were rotten and the banana was rotten. So that means that the woman was a witch. Wow. And so when we pulled in the village, there was a woman just berate, like crying, screaming, I'm going to throw myself in the ocean. I'm going to drown myself and, and I, I want to die. Like just mourning in a way I've never seen before. Uh, and I said, what is, what is with that woman? And my translator said, she just found out that her mother is guilty of witchcraft and she's being brought before the regent chief. So they brought her to the regent chief and most of the time it results in banishment, but they can, they can say, no, I'm, I, I want to appeal this. And then they'll bring in another sorcerer. (laughs) (laughs) Do they bring in another test chicken? Yes, I think they do. Um, but my, the reason I can't say for sure that this isn't really happening is because sometimes, and this is why the, the new Paramount chief, Daniel, has struggled with his policy on this. I, I probed him about this. He said, as a Christian, he's a, he's a devout mm-hmm. Christian, as a Christian, I cannot handle these matters. He said, I can't take a stand one way or another because if I take a stand saying that witchcraft is is uh not real or this woman is not a witch then that's somehow telling the people that i don't care about tradition and i don't care about the Mm -hmm. the spirits that they all believe in so firmly and if i take a position and say like i i will no longer hear these cases then they'll say well there's witches running rampant and we're gonna have to take it into our own hands so he's decided that if he becomes paramount chief He's going to give this power to someone else and let them handle the cases, which I think is a terrible idea. You know, at some point you have to say that if you are truly a Christian and you truly believe this stuff, at what point do you stand up and say, like, you we have to get rid of witchcraft and it's not by banishing all the witches, which, by the way, is the punishment ever since the government outlawed burying them alive (laughs) so so this woman will more than likely be banished from the chiefdom wow um but he says that oftentimes people will come clean about it they'll say you're right i did commit witchcraft i did kill this child and so they'll be banished right on the spot but this woman was not having it and it seemed to, to me at least that she wasn't really um a witch because she had simply been around she fed the child a meal and then a couple days later the child died well we know that in in africa children die children, all the time yeah. children die in weird ways malnourishment you yeah. know illness yep. they're they're i mean we saw kids eating dirt sometimes yep it's it's one of those things where we're attributing things to other things because that's what our, we've always believed that's what yeah, they've yeah. always been told you know I wonder why, I mean, the, what benefit is there to actually come out and say, I am the witch, if you're going to be banished either way? Um, because it's easier on your own family. Huh. Your family won't be stigmatized in the way that they will if you're if you're found guilty through it. Plus, you would have to pay. Some people will come clean before the sorcerer gets involved, because if you're found guilty, you have to pay for the sorcerer. Wow. 
Um, and I mentioned swearing is a big thing that, that they care very much about uh, their word and their ancestors. That's also how they settle land disputes. Hmm. So they don't have real borders or real ways of telling uh, this is my land, this is my neighbor's land. Although they're, if, if it comes down to it, most of the time they will go to the elders and the elders will say, they'll say, you know, 30 years ago, so-and-so told me that this tree was the mark for this property. Hmm. So anything west of this tree is this person's property. Anything east of this tree is this person's property. Uh, and that's typically how it works if they can't settle it on their own. Um, but if, if the elder's word isn't good enough and they're still bickering over it, then they will they will bring it to a swear and they'll put a flag on the property and the flag will say this is disputed property no one's allowed to step on it at all and sometimes that's enough to make it so that someone will just come clean and they'll be like mm -hmm. okay I'll, someone has to be able to use this property it's disputed like at least give me half of it it, it right, can help right. settle it um, but if that doesn't work then they'll swear this is this is the border this is my land and if that happens, then they're fine. Like, they, they both swear that this is their property, and then they go about their daily life and their business as usual, and then the next person who becomes sick to near the point of death has been found guilty because that's how the spirits work, the, that the ancestors, the spirits, made him sick because he swore something that was not true. Yeah. And so then they'll have a sorcerer come in, or actually, the el I think the elders do this. The elders will come in, and they will cleanse the person. They'll beg the ancestors for forgiveness. They'll say, we know this man is guilty, but we don't want him to die. Please make him well, and then he'll be healthy again, because they ask the ancestors wow. for forgiveness for his, his sin. It's pretty wild, right? Like, we... Um we see that probably as backward, you know, that's, mm -hmm. that's, you know, so 200 years ago, but there is a spiritual sensitivity in, in Africa, I think in general that mm -hmm. we don't see here. Like we go about our lives and often don't attribute things to, to God or to, you know, the spiritual realm at all. And, um, there, there, that's their first response is, you know, one of my translators yelled at me because I said I was lucky. He said, no, you're blessed. Luck is evil. Mm -hmm. And he's got a point there. You I've know? preached on it. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, and uh, shoot, what was I going to say? Um, oh, I should mention there were only two villages that we we found that hadn't had any witchcraft cases in the last 28 to 25 years. And they both attributed it to the founding of the church, the planting mm. of the church. And we don't know for sure, like, I, I can't say for sure what the the real reason is. I, obviously, I think you, it can be attributed to the church, but you can't say, like, oh, all the people became Christians, so they aren't witches anymore. Right. You can't say, oh, all the people became Christians, so witchcraft doesn't work on them anymore. And you can't say, oh, they banished all the witches, so it wasn't going to be a problem anyway anymore. You yeah, know, you can't yeah. you can't say for sure. Or the the Holy Spirit came in, and the witchcraft is no longer able to do anything. It's one of those so super complicated taboo issues that people just don't. I I can't really speak to it because I don't understand it. You yeah, know? yeah. There was um there was another story that you told about um 
uh, land um, that the government came in and, mm. and took land to make. Um, this was so the reservoir. The reservoir was the original plan. They made the reservoir and they upgraded the hydroelectric plant and they flooded a bunch of people's land, including a village that had to be moved. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then since all of the land is owned and has been ancestrally owned for hundreds, maybe thousands of years now, people don't sell their land and you can't just take someone else's land and give it to someone else, although that's what the government's trying to do. They take someone's village and they say your village is over here now well that land is owned by another village yeah it's not um it's not on paper because it's never been on paper the government thinks they own all the land because they, there's no um markings and there's no records of any land ownership which is something that the government's trying to undertake in the next decade which mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's impossible. Wow, yeah, yeah, it's going to be very, very difficult to try and... And that's something that we were trying to get the villagers ready for, to say, hey, listen, you can say that your village owns all of this land, and that way your village can divvy it up between whoever they want. Or you could say individuals own each piece of land. Um, but in order to do either one, you have to know where your borders are, and yeah. you have to settle those disputes before the government comes, because they're coming in the next decade and you're going to have to be able to say this is my land or this is the village's land yeah and so that's one of the questions we asked who owns this land who owns and that was it was a little sketchy sometimes asking there were a couple questions that people did not want to answer Mm. um but the reservoir forced a lot of people out and it also killed a lot of biodiversity and it was an it, it was an incredibly important area of the of the country and so the the government said well we feel bad about flooding that land. We're going to make a conservation effort and we're going to build this huge conservation area to save the chimps, basically. And as a result, they took thousands, thousands of square miles from, I think it's thousands. I don't yeah. know. I don't have a way of really judging, but an unbelievable amount of land, farmland from, from villagers. And there were villages that we went into that said, we have no farmland. There is no land for us to farm. We go to our neighbors. We go to the village next to us and we beg them for farmland every single year. And they're generous enough to give it to us. Oh. And so the, the, they say that the government chose the chimps over us. Wow. That's what they say. Oof. Uh, and we talked to the villagers, the villages that were hosting these people for, for the farmland as well. We said, if someone comes to you and asks for land and they bring a token, you know, they bring palm oil or palm wine or cola nuts, and they ask for some land for a year to feed their family, do you ever say no? And we found one, only one, <laughs> one woman that said, if they're a jerk, we're not giving them land. Um, <laughs> But every other person that we spoke to said, we are not wicked enough to, to not share our land with Man. that person. We are not wicked enough to let a person starve to death because we are so, so greedy for our land. Yeah. And that is just, it, it was such a profound statement. Yeah, to and say it, seemed, like, it seems like the government was wicked enough to... Right, but to say like, to, to keep my land to myself is wicked. Yeah. That's not something that we have in America. No, not at all. Not at all. We look at it probably the exact opposite. If you're, you know, 
uh, I'm going to defend mm-hmm. my, my land or my possessions mm-hmm. to, to death. And, um, you know, even if it means I've got to kill you to keep you off my, you know, out of my stuff. That's crazy, man. There's, you know, for, uh, there's always things that we can learn. I mm-hmm. think we, we go and there's the mistake that is often made or historically was made with missionaries. We're going to go in, we're going to ride in and we're going to fix Africa. Um, and so often I've found is that we go in, if you can go in with the mindset of I'm, I'm going to learn and to work with and alongside, um, it makes a, a huge difference. There's so much we can learn right. um, from that. Well, and I'll, I'll make the one last summary statement that our research kind of culminated mm-hmm. to. Um, that that these villages, this chiefdom, has what we could call a functioning democracy. And while there's no voting within the chiefdom, obviously the paramount chief is supposed to be voted on by different officials in each village. Um, at each level, we asked this question, and we started at the top level. We said, how did you get your position? And obviously the region chief was selected because he's a temporary position, but the mommy queen and the youth leader, they said that the people wanted me to be this, you know, we mm-hmm. were chosen by the people. And then we went to the section level and we said, how did you become the section chief? And the section chief would say, well, the regent chief knew that the section chief before me had died. And he called on the people, all the villages in my section and all the chiefs from the villages and said, who among you would make the best section chief? And then they all agreed on one person. They sent him up the ladder. And so then we went down to the village level and we said, how did you become the village chief? And the village chief would always say, oh, the section chief knew that the village chief had died or wasn't doing mm-hmm. his job. And so he asked all the people in the village, men, women, children, who should be the next, sec- the, the next village chief? And they would have a meeting and they would get together and they would say this person is typically typically it is the son of the person Mm -hmm. that just died you know yep but they have the most knowledge they have the most capacity they have the most um education a lot of these villages that we were in had less than two people that could speak or could read and write there were some villages that had not a single person could read and write um so often if you're educated that gives you a, a leg up yeah um, and they would come together and they would all unanimously say, this person's going to be our village chief. This person's going to be our mommy queen. This person's going to be our youth leader. And everyone has a say in it all the time. And as a result, they're all kind of happy with their decisions. Even if the person's kind of not performing, well, the entire village decided that this person would be the best for you. Yeah. So you can't, you can't back down and say, oh, this person wasn't selected by the people. And we found two cases where um, where this wasn't wasn't what happened. Uh, one where the section chief showed up, and they couldn't. They were bickering. They couldn't figure out who was going to be the the village chief. So he just pointed at a random man and said, "You're the village chief." <laughs> and so this guy became the chief of a whole village. And he said, "For the first year, it was all right. For the second year, it was okay." third year miserable he said the people do not respect me they keep telling me i wasn't elected and that i don't deserve the position and i'm trying so hard 
So it just doesn't work unless the people have decided that this is this yeah. is in their best interest. So as a result, we've decided that they have a functioning d- democracy. And not only do they have a functioning democracy, in many ways, it's more functional than ours is. Because they're actually able to mobilize people to do what they, they need to get done without even monetary incentive. And second... Um, uh, people have all gotten a say. They, like they, yeah. they don't miss an election because everyone's at the meetings every single week. Wow! Uh, and we told people that they said we want to be like America. We want a democracy. And Paul Ron was like, "Your democracy is better than ours, at least in the town of yeah. you know yeah. Allegheny where he is. At least better than our local elections are sure. oftentimes." Sure. Uh, and so. Wow. That was that was kind of our big discovery, and and it was something that we didn't really expect going into it. We expected, you know, this person appoints this person, and this person appoints this person. And but it's it really just goes, from bottom up. But it's from bottom up, absolutely. Yeah. Wow. So you have now, um, you and Paul Ron, I know, have been working on um, the the final report that will go to um, Colin Tuba Chiefdom. Okay, to so the Chiefdom. This is the first report that he's done that. Um, Ultimately, our our consumer, our uh, our client per mm-hmm. se, is the people that we're doing the research on. Yeah. Uh, and they asked us to do this this research to see what kind of things that they could work on, what kind of things they should focus on in order to to better their their government. And I I don't know if Daniel really appreciated it because at our final presentation when we kind of got all the major major leaders together. We basically said, like, you're doing fine. You yeah, know, this yeah. is something that is working really well. And there are a bunch of reasons why this is working really well. And you have to focus on these re- reasons. And there are a couple issues, you know, like the district, mm-hmm. the national government is taking tons of money out of these villages via taxes, via, um, they called them um, contributions, quote unquote, contributions, play, basically like, the district needs your village to contribute a quarter of all of your rice <laughs> so that so that we can feed the rest of the villages. And it's like people are starving in these villages. Yeah. They don't have money to buy roofs for their houses. They don't have money to that it's it's a struggle. Yeah. And so that's something that they need to focus on heavily. Like that can't be happening anymore. You have to figure out a way to get rid of this health inspector who's just extorting people. Yeah. Uh but for the most part, everything is running pretty smoothly. Most of the roads were pretty clean. Most of the roads were pretty clean. Um, most of the people seemed very friendly and, and ready to, to, to work and, and do whatever they could for their community. Uh, obviously, the schools need some help. It was difficult for us to see, you know, one of the only villages that actually had a school in it, probably 60% of their kids were still running around it. 11 o'clock in the morning because their their parents are just not forcing them to go to school anymore but that's not a government issue you know that's not something that we have to really focus on but it is something that you have to focus on if you really want to make a difference going forward sure you've got a village that two people can read and write that's not going to change unless you're sending your kids to school so i think uh I don't know. I, it was a very eye-opening experience, and I I was very appreciative to to really get to ask so many questions. You know, we go to Senegal a lot, and we ask 
you know, little questions like, oh, what are you putting in the food there? Or like, what's this kid's name? You know, mm-hmm. but I couldn't tell you how the government works. Right. I couldn't tell you um, really how much, I couldn't tell you much about their farming techniques or about their landscape or, or their spiritual practices. But for Sierra Leone, after three weeks of just interview after interview after interview, I feel like I'm pretty much an expert at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what happens to you next? What's your, uh, what, you know, you have a, a degree now in international development. How do you put that to use? Do, will you live internationally or what's your? Are you really asking me this, Dad? I am, but you don't have to give <laughs> details. You know, I kind of know. Uh, I don't know. I I guess I'm going to go wherever the Lord calls me at this point. <laughs> That's a, that good a good answer. answer. That's a good yeah, answer. That's right, that's right. I don't. I th- is he still calling you to go to my attic and <laughs> continue to live? <laughs> uh, here's an easier one, and then we'll close it. Um, so, Beards Creek Adventures. We cover a lot of different. We try to cover a lot of different adventure, and so that's why uh, it's appropriate to have you on to talk about your adventures in Africa. But we also are coming into uh, deer season here in New York. We're 27 days out, and. Um, uh, you just got a new bow, mm-hmm. and um, you're pretty excited, pretty set up for this year. Oh, I feel pretty good. Good. And then uh, last year you did really well. You know, I did like one day of hunting, basically. I only hunted once or twice all year, but I got a got a heck of a buck. Yes, you did. <laughs> do you want to tell that story, or do you? Uh, you know, what time are we at? We're uh, we're at about an hour even. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know. It was um. I'll say this: It took two shots. <laughs> That'll you'll have that on some of those bigger jobs. Yeah, yeah, and it was on the neighbor's property. <laughs> you didn't have to say that. Well, it wasn't our neighbor. It's no. not like they're gonna hear this and be like, oh. he, Ryan might, and Ryan's okay with it. Like he's okay. Yeah, um, it was a, it was one of those things where I, I knew Emily was on a stand like a couple, maybe a hundred yards behind me, and I. I really wanted this deer to go to her, but because she had sat in the stand you were yeah. in in the morning. Yeah, I had been I had been using my doble. I was like, I think I might have even called with my voice out to this deer <laughs> to try and just see what it would do. It didn't seem to care that I was there. It didn't seem to know that I was there. Uh, and it was I don't know. It was maybe seventy yards out, maybe seventy yards out, and I was like. <sighs> It's got antlers, you know. I I feel like I gotta take this deer. This is not gonna go to Emily, um, and so I I pulled up on it and I shot once and I was like, I feel like I hit that. I don't I don't know why it's still standing over there, but I feel like I hit it. So I racked another one and fired again, and the thing just dropped right there, pretty much. I mean, it it might have run twenty feet and dropped. Um, but I went up to where I shot the first time, and there was some hair there. So I must have given it a little haircut. Yeah. Uh, but that 270, man, it just, oh, the gut job was terrible. <laughs> I, I hit a perfect shot. Hit lungs, hit heart, blew out the stomach. Like, I don't understand how this bullet did so much damage to this deer. I could probably take an elk with this thing. Oh, you can. It's, it's a heavy caliber. Oh, man. Um, so... I don't know. I was I was blessed that day for sure, yeah. uh, and it was something that I felt like I needed because I hadn't been hunting all season. I hadn't bow hunted in years at that yeah, point. Yeah. And I mean, my last 
Buck was in 2018. So yeah. it was, uh, it had been quite a while for me. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to have you back in, in camp with us and hopefully, um, you know, if you, uh, end up going international, at least we got this last year and you got a yeah. new bow to, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to slug one with it. <laughs> Good. Well, uh, thanks for finally being patient with me. It's it, you've been back for three months, and we finally get around to African to, Adventures Part Three. Yeah, Part Three. <laughs> that's right. Um, so thanks for coming on, and uh, we'll uh, we'll connect again during deer season. We're gonna the podcasts are just gonna be our Friday night BS chats. So oh, cool. And uh, by the way, your uncle Steve uh, Pocock. Well, it's actually your great uncle. Yeah, uh, listens pretty regularly, and he lived in Sierra Leone for a year, so yeah. he'll be he'll be thrilled to hear these stories. Oh so. yeah. Uh, all right. Well, uh, with our cheesy sign off, there's adventure everywhere. Get out there and live it. <laughs>